This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. So, Julian and, and Jacob, you know what's very sad about this? Even if I wanted to attend this event, which I very well would, I can't. Because you know what's happening on Thursday, December 8th? What's that? Baby number two is coming. Oh, oh, oh. oh, congrats. Congrats. Yeah. That's a big That's a big move right there. It's a big move. So it wouldn't exactly be in my best interest to say, got to miss out on, on you know, baby number two coming because I got to get to this Aaron Boone event. Yeah, you can't tell wifey I've been here before. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I think you got this. Yeah, I saw you go through it last time. It's all good. You can handle it. You know, holler at me. And let, let me know that everything goes well because, look, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. The manager is going to be talking to the tv voice of the yankees so i would love to be at this event but i guess it wouldn't it wouldn't serve me well you guys are saying uh yeah that wouldn't be the best business decision you make but i I got a question so what uh would it be a yankees uh world series visit like how would you miss the next child's birthday or uh, birth nah that that nothing's ever gonna take me away nothing honestly like i would love to to be like the entertainment value that is Dave Rothenberg, who will come on here and say he's not missing a giant playoff game. I would love to do that, but is, there is not a single thing that could take place. And everyone knows how I love the Yankees. I love my Jets. Imagine the Jets in the Super Bowl. Like that's just. But by the way, that's bad planning. Like I like you have the ability to do math and like map it out and see where it is that you could potentially have this baby. That would that would just be awful planning on my part. Yeah, I just had to make sure you wasn't a nutcase at you know the yeah, question. I can't, I can't do that. That that's awful. But could you imagine like the Jets in, in the Super Bowl for the first time since 1969, and I've got to miss that? Like that's, I mean, that's devastating. But again, like you, you, you do reverse math and you can plan ahead and understand that. All right, potentially the Jets will be in the Super Bowl in February. So here's where we can't, you know get down and dirty and just be all irresponsible if you know what I mean. 800-919-3776 Before we get to the football, let's talk to Anthony in the mail truck. What's up, Anthony? Ty, what's going on, man? Congrats on baby number two. That's that's awesome, dude. Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank thank you for calling. Hope everything goes well. Me as well. Me as well. Thank you. You're taking me through my work day. (laughs) Um, So uh, so let, let me just say something about the Mets, and then I'll get to the Yankee point. Let's do it. So, this this whole Jacob DeGrom thing, I, I can't stand Mets fans calling and saying, oh, you know, good riddance. Yes, you're not going to sign him to that mega contract, and that's a, probably a reason why they didn't, he didn't go back to the Mets and say, this is what I'm being offered. Can you guys top it? Because they're not going to. So, with that being said, this guy, when healthy, and that's a big when because he never is, when healthy, he is the best pitcher that I've ever seen toe the rubber. And, and I'll put him up against anyone. You know, so with that being said, you know, I, I just can't stand some of these Mets, you know, fans calling stations. You know, I have a bunch of Mets buddies, and all they say is, you know, one, one of my buddies actually is, is, is normal. And he was like, you know, I could cry right now. I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's how I'll feel if Aaron Judge leaves. Oh my god! I don't even want to bring my mind to that. Like, no, so, I don't either, Ty. So here's so here's the thing, Anthony. Like, we, I have a notification set up on my phone so that every single time, like Schefter, 
uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and Jeff Passan, every single time they tweet, I get notified. So now, you know, pa- Passan's showing up, you know, as a notification on my home screen every single time he tweets, and it just it makes me nervous each time it shows up. I'm like, oh god, here we go. It, it's Aaron Judge going elsewhere, and I can't, I can't even bring my mind to think about like what that looks like because like what is the plan B? What's what's the plan B? There is no plan B. We got to just take next season off. Let's just take next season off. We can grieve and, you know, we can have like a little, you know, ceremony and we all just kumbaya and and, and get get it popping the next season. Because I don't know if I can emotionally deal with having watched one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen. Aaron Judge, who is clearly the most beloved player in that locker room and within the fan base, leaving after that, after after winning the and MVP. The best player in baseball. Yeah, <sighs> I it, it, I it, it, it would not, not, no. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Todd. But uh, to get to my Yankee point, I mean, I would love Andrew Benatendi to play left field, but you know who I really want and who requested a trade today? I want oh, Brian Reynolds. Reynolds, Reynolds and, yeah. And apparently and the I'll Yankees give, are in on I'll him. Give Oh yeah, they were in on him on the uh, at the trade deadline too. Yep. But I would give Torres and and maybe another piece, you know, and see if see if the Pirates bite because I think we're going to be trading Torres anyway for a uh, starting pitcher. I'll hang up and listen, Ty. Thanks for taking the call, brother. I, I appreciate that. Uh, it, it, so John Heyman tweeted out that the the trade request by Reynolds uh, announced earlier has no bearing on the Pirates' actual plan for him. He says, I take that to mean he isn't going anywhere unless someone blows them out of the water. I don't know that Glaber Torres and whatever you're offering that you just said is blowing them out of the water. This is the Pirates commenting on the Brian Reynolds trade request through a team spokesman. While it is disappointing, this will have zero impact on our decision making this offseason or in the future. Our goal is to improve the Pirates for 2023 and beyond with three years until he hits free agency. Brian remains a key member of our team. We look forward to having him him having a great season for the Pirates. Now, that statement to me means nothing because it, it, it could simply be a ploy to drive up the price. As John Heyman mentioned, they have no plans to trade him, and you want to make it seem like that's still uh, the, the, the feeling that you have because you want to have teams blow you out of the water, as, as, he, as he mentioned. So... Uh, that's the statement. It, would it be lovely to have him in left field? Of course, because do I want to watch Aaron Hicks again? Absolutely not. Aaron Hicks still has three years left on his contract and then one club option, which I can imagine they're going to pick up in 2026. Like, looks like a nice guy, sounds like a nice guy, and he's had some moments, but he clearly has fallen way short of the expectations uh, when he signed the seventy or seventy million dollar contract, and the Yankee fans love to hate on Aaron Hicks, uh, but transitioning to the football, we've got two big games locally tomorrow, and it is so refreshing to say that because all I asked for at the start of the season, can we just have when when Fox, when CBS, when ESPN, NBC are, are in the midst of a game and they're look and they're showing the playoff standings, can we have in the NFC? In the hunt, the Giants. And the AFC, in the hunt, the Jets. And not only do we have them both in the hunt, right now they're both playoff teams. The, the, the Jets right now are the last team in as the seventh seed in the AFC. Meanwhile, the Giants are the sixth seed in the NFC. 
So we have relevant football in December for the first time well, with the Giants since 2016. For the first time with the Jets since 2015. Jets playoff DNP streak sits at 11 years right now. Looking to break that. The Giants haven't made the playoffs since 2016 when they went 11-5 and with Ben McAdoo and then lost that playoff game in Green Bay. So it feels good to have both teams not just relevant but actually in the playoffs as it stands today on December 3rd. For the Giants, what is the argument that tomorrow is not a playoff game though? Because if it's going to take nine wins to get in, how are you getting there without winning tomorrow? He, like the, the, the Giants are 7-4 and four as a 6 seed. The Commanders as a 7 seed right now are 7-5. and five. The Seahawks, who lost last week, I believe it was to the Raiders... Uh, the Seahawks last week, yes, they lost that game to the Raiders 40-34. to They are sitting in 8th place. The Seahawks own the tiebreaker over the Giants because they beat them head-to-head right before the, you know, the Giants had to buy. So it, it feels like in the NFC it's going to take 9 wins. You look at the Giants' upcoming schedule, and it is as follows. You've got the Commanders at home tomorrow. Next week you play the Eagles at home. Then you go to Washington to Minnesota, you come back for the Colts, come back for the Eagles. Of the games that we can deem quote-unquote winnable, feels like tomorrow is one of them, right? At home against Washington, I don't think anyone's going to pick you to beat the Eagles. Not to say that you can't beat them. It's not an impossible game. We saw Washington beat the Eagles. Uh, but that's certainly not a game that you're going to be expected to win. And and then if you if you don't win tomorrow at home against Washington, what's the feeling that you're going to go to Washington and beat them. At Minnesota, another tough game. Home against Indianapolis, that should be a gimme. And then on the road against Philly to end the season. So I see two games here that appear to be winnable. That I go into it feeling, yeah, the Giants are going to win this game. And that is tomorrow against Washington, and that is Week 17 against Indianapolis. And that's all you really need, right, to get into the playoffs. Nine wins should get you in. If the Giants get the one against Washington and then the one against Indianapolis, you should be good enough to make the playoffs. But it starts with tomorrow's game. It starts with finding a way to end this losing skid because the last time we saw the Giants, they played a really good first half on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. They were up 13-7. to I thought that, that that lead should have been larger because when you force Dak into two interceptions and you get the turnover on downs, those are three different opportunities that you have to really, you know, put some distance between you and the Cowboys. But the Cowboys came out where they scored 21 straight unanswered points and they took control of that game and they won 28-20. to And that was the second of two losses that, that started with the, the home loss against Detroit, a team that I expected you to beat. But it, the, the trend has been the last two games, the worst two performances of the year for Saquon Barkley, and Daniel Jones not playing well in either of those two games. Now, it was pretty bad against Detroit where he threw the interceptions. But uh, against Dallas, just what wasn't enough to overcome the talent deficiency and all the injuries that the Giants are facing. Good news for the Giants, though. Uh, it should be getting Aziz Ojolari back tomorrow. Evan Neal is going to be back. And Bellinger is also going to be back. So the Giants getting healthy uh, at, quote-unquote, the right time. Because here's the stretch run. You, you've got some big, big games to end the season. If it only takes nine to get in, tomorrow is one of those games you have to get. You, you have to get this game tomorrow. So the Giants, I, I expect them to win. Uh, 
I wonder what the spread is on this game. I, w- I wonder what the expectation is as far as Vegas is concerned. Giants are, wow, Giants at home are are getting two points against Washington. So they're, they're telling you that they just flatly believe the Commanders are a better team. And I, I don't know that to be true, honestly. I know Washington has won, what, six of their last seven games. Defensively, they played pretty well. Taylor Heineke's going to give you a couple of balls that can be intercepted, but for the most part, he's he stayed uh, mistake-free. I don't know that the, the the Commanders are definitively a better team than the Giants. So this is a game I expect the Giants to win. I expect them to win this game. You get to 8-4, and four and you feel pretty, pretty good over the final five weeks of the season uh, getting into the playoffs. Because if you don't get into the playoffs, my question to you is one that Rick DiPietro posed on his morning show, is that a failure? The Giants don't make the playoffs. With everything that we know now about this team, is that a failure? You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. I listened to a bunch of people on the station debate this throughout the week, and it was whether or not this season would be deemed a failure if the Giants missed the playoffs. And I know failure feels strong just because it is like anti-expectations that we started the season with. But when you start 7-2, and two, and at that point ESPN's giving you an 84% chance to make the playoffs, how, how is that not a failure? Especially if, if the thought is that nine wins would have gotten you in, playing in a conference that isn't exactly setting the world on fire, I, I think that would be a massive failure. Now, two things can be true. The Giants have a bright future, but missing the playoffs would be a disappointment and a failure because you started 7-2, and two and, and all it really would take is, is, is nine wins to get in. So when you through the first nine games you have seven wins and then you're, in your final eight games you, you have one or even go winless, that's a failure. And, and I think that it, it would also cause us to evaluate the coach a little bit differently. Like we're, we're high on him because of – the success that he's had immediately and what he's been able to do with limited talent on, on this roster, but to finish the season in a free fall, I, that, that just would leave a bad taste in your mouth. And it's not you give up on it, obviously, but it's just to to have this, the, the season end in a positive fashion where you feel really good about the future and, and you're as optimistic as you were, I don't know, four weeks ago, I think that's predicated on you finishing the season strong. And I think making the playoffs is obviously the expectation. When you start 7-2, if you miss the playoffs, I think that's disappointing. And, and I, I think it it's not too strong to say that. Because... Could you imagine, like, you don't just miss the playoffs, but you finish winless in this division? Like, if the Giants lose tomorrow, they lose that game tomorrow, they lose to Philadelphia, they lose to Washington, they lose to Minnesota, they beat the Colts, and then they lose to the Eagles. And you go from, you know, being 7-2 and two to what would that be, 8-9? and nine? Like, that's awful. That's awful. That that completely changes how you feel about this season. So, yes, I, I would I would – tend to agree with Rick that that's kind of a failure and again don't confuse failure with oh nothing to be excited about not you can't be optimistic no you you can still be optimistic and excited about the future it's just 
that is a low place to fall from seven and two to missing the playoffs. That that's it. That's a disaster to me. But it starts with tomorrow, and it starts with beating a Washington team that's won six of their last seven games. Saquon's got to find a way to rebound. Had 39 yards against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, and that was coming off of 22 against Detroit. They're not going to win too many games where he struggles. The, the formula is Saquon, go be awesome. Danny makes him throws. Defense makes make plays late. The Giants are not going to win a lot of games if Saquon is struggling. And in fact, in, in their last three losses, that's Dallas, Detroit, and Seattle, his top mark has been 53 rushing yards, and that was against the, the Seahawks right before the bye. So it's kind of tailored off a little bit as the season has progressed and uh, may be expected a little bit just because of all the injuries he's had to deal with, and he's, he's carrying a heavy workload, so it's hard to crush him for it. But, you know, Saquon is playing for a contract. It's important for him and the organization to see him finish the season strong from, from an individual standpoint and from the standpoint of, Trying to get them into the playoffs. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. We go to Lewis in the Bronx. What's up, Lewis? Yeah, I made it to the Bronx, Todd. This is one that called when I was in Brooklyn in Manhattan. Uh, I called in Rick and I called in on the Michael K show when they had this discussion. Jets fans, please stop saying that we're going to have a, a failure season if we don't make the playoffs. We were not expected to make the playoffs. Period. This whole season, so our expectation was not playoffs. Regardless of what we start off seven and two and all that, it doesn't matter. We were trying to figure out if we had a GM, if our quarterback was good, if our running back was going to be healthy, and if the if the the, uh, the coach was good. That's all it's about for this season. Whether we make the playoffs or not is not important to Giants fans. But I see you, Jets fans. They always want to say that. Oh, it's a failure. It's a failure. You guys are the ones that really want to make the playoffs. Right now. You're, you're all the ones who are really trying to make the playoffs. The Giants Wait, so are not really think... about the playoffs because we can't do anything in the playoffs, Ty. We hey, can't Lewis. do nothing in the playoffs if we make the playoffs. Hey, Lewis. We're not going to do nothing but lose the first game. Hey, Lewis, you don't think that Brian Dable and Joe Shane want to make the playoffs? I'll, I'll, listen, 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 Ty. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing whether they want to make the playoffs. No, you just said that. No, no, no. Listen, listen to me. Listen to what I'm trying to say. We don't... Making the playoffs is not going to be uh, if we don't make the playoffs. They oh we failed. That's not going to be the, the the point about a, a success or fail for the season. The success for us is knowing that we got a good head coach. We know what our quarterback is. Our running back stays healthy, and the defense looks good. That's the success for us. Making the playoffs because we can't do nothing in the playoffs. We don't even have any, a top receiver. We but don't I have think, a top receiver, Todd. But Lewis, I think all of those things can be true. Like you can evaluate success based on, as you mentioned, the GM, the the head coach getting a, a clearer answer on the quarterback and the running back. Like, those things can be true in addition to, yeah, when you start 7-2, and two, you recalibrate a little bit, and you start to think this team could make the playoffs. Making the playoffs is important. Like, that is an important first step in turning around an organization. And you don't know when these opportunities are going are gonna to come. You know, you, you, you can't guarantee that next year you're going to be 7-2 and two again and in prime position to make the playoffs. The NFC is pretty down this year. Uh, mainly because the the three teams that we expected to be contenders, the Rams, the Bucks, and the Packers, have been dreadful. So you just never know from year to year. So that's why I'm saying it's important. Like even if you don't think they can make noise, yes, that's still important. But this is my question, Todd. Do who's our top receiver? No, I get it. So Slayton's your top receiver. Is he a number one receiver, caliber player? No. I, I, obviously not. I, 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 and I, Again, I appreciate the call, Lewis. It's, so it's not about, like, they should go out there and, and win a championship. I, I'm not saying that you started the season, you looked at this roster, and you said they should be a playoff team. I'm not saying that. I, my, I, my point is just when you get to 7-2 and, and you've got an 84% chance to make the playoffs, 
and you've got a, a head coach who everyone keeps saying is the, the far and away the coach of the year. Some people were saying Saquon Barkley was was the MVP of the league. Like when you have all of that happening for you at that moment, then yes, you can say if we go on to win one game the rest of the season or winless the rest of the season, yes, that's a little bit of a failure and that's a disappointment. But again, it doesn't take away from the overall big picture of you still being optimistic and feeling good about where this organization is headed. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. 800-919-3776. When we get back, we're going to talk to Jay Bromley. Well, I'll ask him this question. Would it be considered a failure if the Giants go on to miss the playoffs? We'll get to the Jets as well and go around the National Football League. Week 13 is here already. Oh, it's insane that we've gotten this far and so quickly. But it's also fantastic to see both the Jets and the Giants playing relevant football. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. We bring in my guy, former Giant. He is Jay Bromley to talk some NFL. What's up, Jay? Hey, what's up, Todd, man? I'm doing well. How you doing? Yo, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Appreciate you joining the show today. I- I'm just excited that it- it's week 13 of the season. It's December, and we have relevant football for both of our local teams with the Jets and the Giants. Uh, so it-, it feels pretty good to talk about that. So I- the first question I pose to you is one that I just posed to the audience, and is it sounds crazy, but hear me out. If If the Giants miss the playoffs – is that a failure? Is that disappointing? Just not not based on the, the expectations we're starting the season, but when you go from seven and two with an eighty six percent chance to make it, and then you finish the rest of the season not getting to nine wins, which is probably probably what it's going to take to get in, is that a disappointment? Is that a failure? Or am I way off there? I think one hundred percent is a failure. I think you. Um... You, as hot as they started, man, and um, just, you know, kind of starting to hit some turbulence when it comes to trying to do the things that they were doing well for the first, you know, 10 weeks of the season or so, or, you know, eight, nine weeks of the season, I think it'd definitely be disappointing. Because you got to remember, man, Giants fans, we are, uh, we, we remember the fact that all it takes is for us to get in when we had Eli and we had the teams that we had and that we made noise. So it all it takes is getting hot at the right time. So it would definitely be disappointing. Yeah, and that's that's where I was, and and you know, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, glad to hear that you agree with me, uh, Jay Bromley, on the show. So I I think what I'm looking for tomorrow is to see the reemergence and the reappearance of one Saquon Barkley because, and uh, the last two games were his two worst games of the season against the Lions, where he had 22 yards. Against the Cowboys, we had 39. And actually, going back in their last three losses, if you skip over the, the win against the Texans, he only had 53 rushing yards. Is there a little bit of concern that you know Saquon is being run into the ground, or you know is this more about what the game plan is and other teams shutting him down and, and forcing Daniel Jones to throw the football? I think, man, I think they just ran into, um, you know, a couple different teams that, you know, kind of figured them out as far as running the ball-wise. Because Saquon's been doing great, man. He's almost at 1,000 yards, and they still have a good handful of games to go. And um, But he's definitely proven that he is part of the reason why their success was what it was. And once you nullify him and you get him to not be as effective, that changes the play action. 
that makes Daniel Jones have to be more reliant on him to stand back in the pocket and make great decisions. And ultimately, that plays in the benefit, at least it's shown to this point, to the other teams. So um, when Saquon's not really being effective, it really has a kind of like a house of cards effect on the team. If you had to bet all your money on it, is Daniel Jones the starting quarterback for the Giants next season? Um, I would say no. Uh, obviously, they, I don't think they picked up a fifth-year option. Um, I think Saquon <clears throat> is going to be a priority over Daniel Jones as far as coming back because of, like we're seeing, when he's taking out the game, he affects the game differently and is showing that Daniel Jones, as good as he's been as far as helping run the ball and throw the ball at times, he's not the guy that can stand back there and really kind of take over a game throwing the ball and really spreading it out. So I don't think so. I think he's proven that unless he comes out for the rest of the season and really lights it up. Wow. So you think someone else is going to be on the center for the Giants? I mean, it's going to be interesting interesting to see what happens just because they're not going to be bad enough to draft a quarterback. So it'll have to you know, maybe be a trade or, or, or someone in free agency uh, that we're not focused on right now. But that is an interesting one. I, I, as we switch over to the Jets, I never got your take on this. What what did you make of the whole Zach Wilson thing, him being him, you know, after the game, not really being accountable or holding himself accountable, saying that he let the, the defense down and then ultimately he was benched and now Mike White is starting. So what do you make of this whole quarterback situation involving Zach Wilson with the Jets? Um, I think that it's, you know, it's interesting. It almost reminds me of not as potent as um, RG3 and Kirk Cousins, right? Um, maybe not as potent as that because of how RG3 played, especially his rookie year, right? So he was obviously a lot uh, further along and, and really had the range of things. And Kirk Cousins kind of was Mr. Consistent when he wasn't getting hurt and he was, like, putting up pretty solid numbers when he was in there. And this kind of gives me those vibes, man. Like, but you know, because um, ironically, man, I, my neighbor is one of the Jets coaches. Oh wow! And um, we just talk about it every now and again. I talked to him, and I was like, he was like, man, it's more of a media thing because Wilson actually, you know, has uh, you know played relatively solid when he's in there at times. But he's a young guy. Um, he, you know, so he's trying to learn how to take that accountability, man. Learn that, hey, man, if you win. You know, everybody loves the quarterback, but if you lose, you're the first person they're looking at. That just comes with the territory. And once so, he learns that, he has all the skills. Like, when you're an NFL quarterback, especially a first-round pick, you have all the skills and intangibles in order to get the ball anywhere on the field. Everything else is in between the ears. Everything else is how do you handle the pressure, how do you handle the media, especially being in New York City, and how can you bounce back from poor performances. So uh, and it just so happens that you know White after he after he gets his one opportunity he goes up there and throws a three hundred yards three touchdowns and that doesn't make the media any you know that doesn't take the heat off of Wilson any right but um, he wasn't but White wasn't you know backed up by Sala in the media like that right he still kind of left it open for Wilson to come in and and still have his job so I think there's some carousel going on there but it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. But so let me ask you this then, uh, because uh, part of it maybe is the the media overblowing it. I I think that when you all because you play defense, right? So if you let's just say you're on that jet defense, 
after that New England game where you completely erased their that that Pats offense. They they put up three points all game before, obviously Marcus Jones re- returned the uh, punt for a touchdown to win the game. So you just played your heart out, and you hear that your quarterback, when asked whether or not he feels that he let the defense down, he says no. That's not gonna that that's not gonna rub you the wrong way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You would just like you like the Ogie said, it's not him taking accountable. Um, you know, he has to be up there and be like, hey man, I got to do a better job of, uh, you know, figuring out. Even if like the best quarterbacks, right, the Tom Brady's and people of that, even if they know that guys might have dropped the ball, or uh, or if they feel like they put their guys in more difficult positions, they they'll say like, hey, you know what, I got to figure out a, a better way to get them the ball in positions for them to be successful. So a leader takes ownership of not just their failure, but other people's failure, because then by them doing that, they actually cover their they cover their teammates, and it instills a confidence in them to go back out there, figure it out, because they know that you're taking the bullets for them in the media. So that's a leader, in, 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 as as we've seen some of the great ones over time. But he's learning; he's not mature yet. We've seen that. And um, it's just a process. Jay is our guest on the show, former Giants defensive tackle. Is this Mike White thing a facade, or like should we actually like get to a point where we're like, I don't know, maybe this guy is pretty good? I think I think we it was a similar some things last year when Mike White came into the game and he had some good success. And he just, we just really haven't had a real deep, long, hard look at what he's capable of doing. Um, and it's hard to judge that if you don't have that. So I think that he's more than capable. I think he has the block room behind him. I think that he has the confidence and things that his preparation and things of that nature that his teammates really like him and can speak to. And ultimately, man, confidence takes you the long way. Confident. He had every quarterback can make all the throws once you're at that level. So the confidence, the understanding of the offense, the, the more time he's been in the league is just going to come. And um, so I think that the more he plays, uh, the more, the better he'll be. He'll have his shortcomings. Shoot. We, we watch MVPs not have great games and Hall of Fame goats have bad games. So he'll have those. But the growth and the learning aspect will be greater as well. And as far as as the the learning and the growth, so what are your expectations are for tomorrow? This is uh, you know a pretty big game for the Jets in Minnesota to take on a nine and two Vikings team that has only lost one time at home. But interestingly enough, the Jets have actually played better this year on the road. They only have that one loss, and that came in Foxborough. So, how do you anticipate this game unfolding tomorrow between uh, the Jets and the Vikings? I think um, I think ultimately um, the the Vikings will prove to be too much. They have a really solid quarterback in Kirk Cousins. They have a premier receiver in Jefferson, and Adam Thielen probably kind of went under the radar, but he's been one of the you know really good wide receivers in the league for a long time. And their defense and getting to the quarterback with Smith and and, and people of that nature, they're really phenomenal. There's a reason they are what they are, and they've won probably what. They've won, what, a nine out of 11 games? There's a reason for that. The Jets, we'll see. We'll see if, if White starts, then we'll see him get tested in that pocket. We'll see him have to go against and keep up with another offense that's probably going to put up some points. So it'll be an interesting, a good test to see if um, White is the quarterback for the time being. 
All right, so let's just go big picture now. I, I think in the AFC, it, it is the Chiefs and everyone else. I'm I'm watching the Bills destroy the Pats on Thursday Night Football. And, look, I've got respect for the Bills. There's a reason why they came mm-hmm. in as the favorites to, to win the title. There's a reason why Josh Allen uh, came in as the favorite to win the MVP. And, look, they've only got three losses on the season. They're 9-3, and three, so they, they've been spectacular. But I, I just look at the AFC and I think the only team that appears to be "quote unquote" unbeatable is Kansas City, and it's because the the, the duo of Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey is going to keep you in every game. And, and if the game is you know, in its final moments and, and they've got possession of it, I, I just feel like they're going to win. Uh, is it the Chiefs and everyone else in the AFC? Uh, I mean. If if we want to look at it like that, I think so. I think obviously you look at the Chiefs. Um, they all they have probably, if not the best, one of the top two quarterbacks in the game, bar none. Um, the Chiefs will always be potent on offense because of what they have in the weapons and how Andy Reid uses them. But um, with my man Spagnola, his defense, Spagnola is a blitz-heavy, uh, disrupt-the-quarterback type of defense. So as long as they can score points, and their pass rushes, their Chris Jones, and things of that nature are healthy, man, they're, they're going to be difficult to deal with. So as long as they're healthy, uh, yeah, I really can't put no one over them. But obviously you have teams like Tennessee, and if they can get running the ball properly and then run off that play action and play solid defense, they, they, you know, they can be formidable. In Baltimore, trying to find their rhythm, you know, uh, out there, you know, with the quarterback situation and finding ways to, you know, really make sure their whole team – come together and play well. And then obviously Buffalo, you you can't count them out. Like Josh Allen with his elbow situation, kind of started, kind of threw him off for a week or two. But after that, he figures things out. And he's probably in the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. So in Miami, right, you got a duo of wide receivers playing as good as anybody's ever seen. And you got Tua Tungalow, who's MVP race candidate potentially, right? So – we wouldn't consider some of these teams overall better than the Chiefs because of their history of just continuously doing well year in and year out. And obviously you got, you know, kind of dark horses like Cincinnati who has Joe Burrow who did what he did last year. So you, you some you have some, some people, some teams that can really surprise you, but I think the driver's seat it goes through Kansas City right now. And one final question before we let you go. We just did the AFC. Who's the best team in the NFC? The Eagles have the best record. Uh, the Vikings are sitting right behind them at 9-2. and two. Uh, A lot of folks are hiring the Niners. Uh, Cowboys, obviously, in the conversation. Who Who's the best team out in the NFC? The best team right now, I would say, is the Philadelphia Eagles because of their top-to-bottom ability to – play great defense, have two really good cover corners that can run with anybody, that can guard anybody, a a front that, you know, has added veterans to be able to stop the run and be formidable when it comes to rotation, Um, and their ability to rush the passer, right, and their ability to do all these things. Now, offensively, they've literally created this offense that they play to the strengths of Jalen Hurts. They have dynamic wide receivers. They have a good offensive line. They have an RPO game, basically triple option that the NFL is running nowadays with a a dynamic quarterback. So they really put you in a bind because it was almost like 
in college, they made, when you make defensive ends think, they, they make poor decisions, you know, a good amount of times. And when you get to the NFL, they usually stop doing that because it, it, they focused on pro-style offenses that kind of let people just cut the chain loose and go and go hunt. But now you make these defensive ends, these linebackers, you make them think again. You move the eyes of the defense, and you make, you're seeing people out of position because they're not used to having to do that week in and week out. So I think that that plays to the advantage of that triple option offense pretty much what they're running in Philadelphia, being able to run pass and, and, and with the quarterback not being accounted for in defense is just really, really tough, especially in the end zone. So I think that gives them the edge over Minnesota. And um, obviously Tampa Bay is number one in their division, but they got the GOAT and they can go on an easy, you know, win streak and see how that goes. But I think overall, Philadelphia is comfortably in the driver's seat. Well, listen, Jay, you always bring it when you come on the show. I do appreciate you joining us today, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again, man. Have a, have a great rest of your evening, and enjoy the games tomorrow. Thank you, Ty, man. I appreciate you. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.